On April 23, 2007, I was convicted of the murder and dismemberment of my husband. On direct appeal, we examined the murder conviction of Melanie McGuire following a highly publicized trial. Looking at the evidence that was presented and the evidence that may have seemed insignificant at the time, we form our own conclusion about Melanie's guilt. I know when I should have left. She would never do this, but I think she knows something. Am I telling them I'm having an affair? Nobody's asking. He owed money out on the street, and that's how you get shot here and here. It's unlikely that her pistol was used in this crime. It's not about who's innocent or guilty. It's about a notch in your belt. Searches that include how to kill your wife, how to poison your wife. They had bags that contain victims' parts. Prosecutor is fierce. You will be taking the stand, literally, live on court TV. I expected the worst, and what I got was one step shot of the worst. To listen to Direct Appeal, please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, that's Haley. Yeah, I'm. I'm starving. Um, That's Caitlin. I'm people know. They know there's Haley and then there's the hungry one. Yep. Um, that's what they call you. That's that's what they called me. That's what they called me in high school. Oh my god. I'm sorry about background noise, but I have to have a window open and a fan on because it is once again hot here. You're gonna blame your farts on background noise? No, I farted before we started recording. <laughs> Yes, that's people true. Don't because like no bodily about, functions. No people bodily don't like functions. People like to hear about the bullshit. People anyway. were very. I was talking to Michael about this. People are very offended when women have bodily functions. That's true. It's 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 a little bit baffling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I but, did it off, Mike. I was respectful. Yes, thank you for being respectful. I'm. People aren't as lucky with me. No, but um, yes. Anyway. I'm Caitlin. That's Haley. This is this crime, is crime culture. culture. And should we just get cracking? Yeah, I don't think we have anything up top to talk about. Let's uh, just jump into our episode for the week. What are we talking about? Dope. Um, we are talking about Mark Schiller and the Sun Jim Gang. Um, I'm so excited which, because I have no clue what this is. You will, though, because Michael didn't either. I was talking to him about it over breakfast this morning because that's what white people do. And it was... He was like, I don't know this. And then I was like, you know it because of this thing. And then he goes, oh, shit, I do know this. So if Michael okay, knows cool. it, then you guys are in good company. You're fine. Okay, good. Um, everybody else in the true crime community definitely knows it because Michael didn't know Scott Peterson. Um, so Shame him. I, I did. No, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so Mark Schiller, we're going to start with him. We're going to open up with that. Okay. He was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and immigrated to brooklyn new york with his parents when he was seven years old mm-hmm. and he was always like a little like mini businessman slash entrepreneur and mm-hmm. he started several small businesses by the age of nine which i thought was just so fucking cute see it's giving me like a bad taste in my mouth because i just rewatched both of the Firefest docs <laughs> and <laughs> billy mcfarland was always like this- described as like a tiny businessman i'm like ugh. He's not Billy McFarland. I will start you off with that right okay, now. Good. He's not. Right. He's, a, he's a great dude. Okay. Um, he attended high school in Brooklyn and was a member of the school's track team. 
And then he received his bachelor's degree in accounting from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and an MBA from Benedictine University. Smart. So, yeah, super smart, super successful. He had a long and really like diverse career as a professional and an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't just within the U.S. It was like an international type of deal. Like he had launched a bunch of businesses, um, accounting practices in Miami and Houston. Mm -hmm. He owned a Schlotzky's Deli franchise in Miami. He had like an options and stock trading company. He like he had lots of companies that he had started and was he was he was like an entrepreneur and yeah, American just a really, dream. Yes, absolutely. So then in 1991, a former car salesman named Jorge Delgado had come to work for Schiller as a sales representative as, at his accountancy firm. And over the next like 18 months, um, he became like a really trusted friend to Schiller um, he looked after his house when he and his family went away on vacations. He worked with him on other projects. Like, they became really good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but all good things must come to an end, and their relationship started to sour in late 1992 when Delgado joined a bodybuilder's hangout called Sun Jim. Sun is in, okay. like, in the sky. Um, for those who watched Bear in the Big Blue House, it is Ray. Um, so there he met the gym's manager, Daniel Lugo, who was a 6'2 muscle-bound meathead of a personal trainer. Well then. Yes. On brand for working at a gym? For working at, yeah, yeah. He was obsessed with money and fast cars and binders full of women, and he had just completed a 15-month prison sentence after being arrested and pleading guilty to fraud in 1991. Hmm, nice guy. However, despite being on probation... He was currently involved in another scam to swindle the government out of hundreds of thousands of dollars via 10 fake medical companies. Sure. Like you do. Yeah. Um, so he, if anything, was an entrepreneur in his own right. <laughs> I, th- I believe they call that career criminal. <laughs> yes, I believe, I believe that is what it's called. Um, so yeah. So when Lugo heard about Delgado's work with Schiller, he initially wanted to go into business with the two of them, but Schiller was like, absolutely not. And mm-hmm. at one point, he even told Lugo, Delgado not to trust Lugo. Mm. Um, and so, quote, the first time I met him, I could tell there was something, says Schiller. He was unsavory. He couldn't look you in the eye. You could tell he was hiding something. Which Ooh. is like, yeah, that's... um. That's some I survived shit. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Schiller was right. But Lugo had become something of, like, a big brother figure to Delgado. And mm-hmm. they spent, like, a they continued to spend, like, a lot of time together. And in February 1994, um, Lugo, or, or, excuse me, I can't speak. I'm, like, in a mess. I'm, I am in a mess. <laughs> Schiller was convinced that Delgado was working with Lugo on some sort of fraud, and he didn't want to be associated with any of that because he had worked hard for his businesses and for his money. He, like, you know what I mean? He was a self-made man, and he was an honest man. He was a quiet man. He was humble. And so he just ended their business relationship. He was like, I can't risk this. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do when you figure something fishy is going on. Exactly. He ended things, and he was like, okay, I'm never going to see these people again. Yeah. However... It wouldn't be a true crime episode if Lugo didn't have other plans. Of course, it never has a happy ending. Never, ever, ever. Um, In mid-October, the 30-year-old 
Lugo arranged a meeting with his workout partner, Noel Adrian Dorbal, who was a weightlifter, which I, I, I'm very proud of the next thing that I wrote, because okay. I mean, I'm basically a true crime fiction writer. Okay. A weightlifter with a penchant for extreme violence and a pretty hefty steroid habit. Um, I was it. also like high on no sleep when I wrote this. Perfect. Um, and then the meeting also included Stevenson Pierre, who had been hired by Lugo in February 1994 to create a collection agency for overdue gym payments. And when this didn't work out, he remained at the gym as first its back office manager in the weight room and then ended up as the desk clerk. Okay. Um, and then finally, our Motley crew concludes with Carl Weeks, who had moved from New York to Miami to live with his girlfriend's cousin, Stevenson Pierre, who, not for anything, just a real quick, my dog of 17 years was Pierre, and this Stevenson guy gives Pierre a terrible name. All Pierre's. Sorry. He just ruins it for all Pierre's. Um, my Pierre would never. I don't Mostly because he he's dead. Yeah. But, you know, you know, it's fine. It is what it is. So... He asked Pierre and Weeks, are you interested in making $100,000 for two days' work? I mean, Flat who out. would say no to that? Exactly. So he told them that he had recently discovered that, quote, a scumbag named Mark Schiller had stolen $100,000 from him and $200,000 from another gym member named Jorge Delgado. Lies. Lies. Who's seen that? Who's seen that episode? Um, so he wanted to kidnap Schiller, force him to return the money, and while they were at it... Take his house, take his cars, take his savings, and anything else they can really get their hands on. Why not? I mean, like you do. Why not? It's there. If you're going what, for one thing, what go could for go everything. Wrong? Exactly. All or nothing. Shoot for the stars. Um, so Pierre quickly agreed, but Weeks was pretty resistant. Um, he was a petty criminal who was battling addictions to alcohol and crack. And he was, he had just like embraced Christianity. He was in his early 30s. He was like turning his life around. Mm -hmm. Everything was going good. However, Weeks was a work in project, a work in project. I hate myself. <laughs> a work in progress. Excuse me. And as his name suggests, weak. Nah. And a few reassuring words from Lugo were enough to get him to agree to get in on this. Yeah. So then at another meeting a few days later, Delgado agreed to abduct Schiller, force him to sign over his assets and potentially kill him. Huh. Um, yeah, it escalates quite quickly. And yeah. Delgado was also able to give specific information about Schiller, including the codes to get into his house. Wow. Yeah. So it's a mess. So then Ooh. on Halloween, their plan had been so this is like. As I as I tell this part, this isn't going to be one of those things where I'm like, you can skip. It's going to be gory. Instead, I want you guys to just, if you can, play yakety sax in the background throughout this entire thing. Okay, just to make yourself feel a little bit better about the terrible. Elliot, if you want to lay over yakety sax under this, I wouldn't be mad because on Halloween, the group's plan was to dress up in all black like ninjas. And grabbed right. Schiller when he opened his door to hand out candy to what appeared to be a group of trick-or-treaters, but it was actually them. Mm -hmm. However, they decided not to, and for whatever reason, ended up at a strip club instead. Um, so then, a few days after Halloween, Dorbal, Pierre, and Weeks dressed up in all black again, but this time wearing gloves and black military camouflage makeup, crawled okay. across Schiller's yard before dawn, hid under some tarpaulin, and planned to storm the house when Schiller came out to get his newspaper. But again, they had to cancel their attempt when it suddenly dawned on them that they could be exposed by the headlights of oncoming cars. 
It's so the geniuses. Yes, it's they're the three stooges. Yeah. Quite literally. And they ended up making seven failed attempts to kidnap Schiller. Oh my god. Schiller get yes. off the pot, guys. Exactly. With the seventh attempt taking just the day before they finally succeeded. Wow. Yes. All right, then. So then after this last fail attempt, Dorbal and Weeks, who wanted nothing to do with this at all, they dropped Pierre, who was the one who was initially like, let me in. Mm-hmm. And they recruited Mario Sanchez, a.k.a. Big Mario, a.k.a. It's a me, Big Mario. <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> I, I was... I was, again, no sleep. And I'm Michael, sure that's how they referred to him. Michael tried to, like, tell me this wasn't, that it, that wasn't funny. And I was like, oh, but you don't understand. I'm past that point. Um, <laughs> everything's funny to me. So then a former, he was a former Sun Gym weightlifting instructor. Um, he was a licensed Florida private eye. And he had his own detective business. But that had gone under. And so the way he was making money was he worked as a bouncer at Hooligan's Pub and Oyster Bar in Miami Lakes because Homeboy was 6'4 and 270 pounds. And that's what you do when you're 6'4 and 270 pounds. Yeah. So he also appeared to be in a financial jam. He drove his Volkswagen Jetta on a donut spare tire. Ooh. Yep. But he still possessed several assets, most notably a concealed weapon permit and a .357 Magnum revolver. That sounds like so, the guy you want on your kidnapping squad. Right? He's the brute squad. Yep. Um, not not there, the brute squad. He's the brute squad. Yes. Um, so Dorbal had approached Sanchez in the gym and asked him to talk outside. And they climbed into the van with Weeks. And Dorbal laid off his, out his offer and said that he needed a, quote, intimidator. Because mm. he planned to collect money from a drug dealer who welched on a debt. And Sanchez would earn $1,000 in one afternoon if he did it. Who could could say no to that? Well, that's the thing. So Sanchez didn't initially want to get involved. He was like, I don't want these drug lords coming after me. Like, this seems like a bad idea. I I don't want any trouble. And I don't want to get arrested. And I don't want to kill anybody. Like, he was Uh very much like, I don't want to, like, do any crime. Actually logical about this. Yes. And they were like... We just need you to be the brute squad. We just need you to be the intimidator. Like we yes, say, hey, stand there this is our scary. friend Big Mario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so init- So he wasn't into it, but he ultimately agreed. And this made me sad because the holidays were coming and he wanted to give his son a nice mm. Christmas present. No. I know. I know. Oh, I don't like it anymore. Yeah. No, that one made me sad. <laughs> that one so made me sad. sad. Um, and then finally, on November 15th, 1994, Dorbal, Weeks, and Sanchez decided to abduct Schiller while he was waiting for a prospective buyer for his deli franchise. Um, mm. At 4 p.m., the buyer still hadn't shown up, so Schiller decided to leave, and he walked across the, car- the parking lot to his car, and as he inserted his key into the lock, he was grabbed from behind by the three men. Mm. And on top of the fact that the men outnumbered Schiller three to one, they were armed with a gun and a shock-inducing taser that was capable of paralyzing a person from a distance of up to 21 feet. Oh, not cool. Yes, they they brought out the big guns. Yeah. So Schiller said to them, if you want my car, just take it. Um, But they didn't want the car. And he said, tell me what you want and maybe I can give it to you. And Mm. there was no response. So Schiller began fighting and yelling for help. 
And he was apparently surprisingly strong for someone who didn't work out at Sun's gym. Mm -hmm. And he was able to like hold his own in the struggle for a while until they tased him. Like they had to tase him in order to like get him to go. This weakened him, but he kept going. Yeah, it's the adrenaline. Yeah. So they were like obviously surprised and they stunned him again and he kept going. And then finally, after a few more times of getting tased, they managed to get him into a van and he slid open the door or they slid open the door and threw him inside, put him in handcuffs, one for his hands, one for his feet, wrapped Mm -hmm. duct tape around his eyes and put a moving blanket over his body. And then they raced to Delgado's warehouse in North Miami. Yeah. Uh, but wait, there's more. Um, so as soon as they arrived, the door was opened and Schiller was thrown face down on top of a cardboard box. He was still blindfolded. He was sweating profusely, partly because of the temperature inside the van and partly because fear. And -hmm. then someone put an aluminum object that he said felt like a a bat, like an aluminum bat to his face. Mm -hmm. And they said, quote, feel this asshole. You know what this is? End quote. So he's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And... They say, quote, you make one wrong move and I'll break your head, end quote. So, yeah, he's he's in it. He is in it. Yeah. So Schiller went on to call this time in the warehouse. He referred it as to it as his stay at, quote, Hotel Hell. Okay. Um, And it certainly was Hotel Hell. Um, Over the next few hours after being kidnapped, he was punched, pistol whipped and tased um they played russian roulette against his temple one of them schiller believed it was doorball took a lighter to his arm and burnt his flesh until it sizzled Ah. um after that he was forced to call his wife and tell her he had gone on a last minute business trip and that she should fly to (gasps) columbia with their kids for a family event and that he would follow in a couple of days so like that yeah, so to her relief, to Schiller's relief, she agreed with him. So now his family was at least like safe, but mm-hmm. that meant that his kidnappers had access to his house. So they started asking him about his assets, um, mm-hmm. and one of them said, "Okay, you have a house that's paid for, your wife's family money that you invest, your wife's jewelry, an apartment in Miami Beach, jet skis, um, just like listing all of the things that he had." And it was pretty obvious immediately that Delgado was behind the operation. His former friend. Um, so, because, like, no one else could have known these details. Yeah, and he was blindfolded and stuff when he was attacked, so he didn't know who attacked him, right? Exactly. Yeah, but now that they're Um, listing all of these things, he's like, okay, only these number of people would know, and it's definitely this person. Yes, So, and the people that he saw before they blindfolded him, Delgado was not one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so he wouldn't have known. So Schiller also clocked who he was talking to. So he was like, okay, like this time it's Delgado. Like this sounds like Delgado, blah, blah, blah. Um, And he apparently thought to himself, quote, this is the Daniel Lugo show. Mm. Um, So that evening they took Schiller's car from the deli parking lot and drove it to the warehouse. And over the next few days, Schiller, who was still blindfolded, took a series of calls patched through to the warehouse from his home phone. And every time they put a gun to his head and he pretended that there was nothing wrong. Mm. And he was also called to sign dozens of documents that he couldn't see, but Mm. it was pretty clear to him, like, what was happening, that they were transferring everything he had into their names with the last money transfer finally being made on December 10th. 
So he's been held captive for like almost a month now. Wow. Yes. Um, so, and he spent it chained up. He spent it blindfolded. They didn't give him a change of clothes and they gave yeah. him food sometimes. Yeah. Um, so after they after the final transfer, they were satisfied that they had gotten as much as they could out of him. And then they revealed their end game. Mm. Which was that they had decided they would kill Schiller with a $2 million MetLife insurance policy designated to his ex-wife, Lugo's ex-wife, Lillian Torres, Uh as the new beneficiary. Does that seem like, doesn't seem like that would fly. Yakety sacks. Yakety sacks. Yeah. Yeah. So first, Schiller had to phone his lawyer with this crazy story. Um, So he said that he had been having an affair with a Cuban beauty. Mm. And his wife found out, and now he was depressed and suicidal. Then they told him he had to get drunk. So at gunpoint, they made him down vodka, tequila, and chocolate liqueur. Some of it mixed with sleeping pills. Yeah, no, it's basically. Yeah, it's like this is like something that like a teenager just trying to like try alcohol for the first time would choose. Um. So then at 2.30 a.m. on December 15th, they put him in his car and drove him to an industrial park. Lugo mm-hmm. placed a now t- a now comatose Schiller in the driver's seat, stepped on the accelerator, and steered the vehicle towards a concrete pole. And just before the crash, Lugo jumped out. But when the men went to inspect the wreckage, they found that Schiller was still alive. Oh God! So they decided that Lugo would cover the car with gasoline and set it on fire. <gasps> Unfortunately, Lugo forgot to again three stooges buckle schiller in so as they pulled away in their car they saw schiller who was revived by the fucking fire yeah stumble out and weave his way toward the road (sighs) and so then weeks who was behind the wheel hit him and then for good measure turned the car around and hit him again oh my god yeah um which is also pretty saucy for somebody who was like i don't know man i just started this good christian life yeah right it did in two months he was back to it like okay yeah it doesn't take much um so this is all based off their accounts of what happened because schiller remembers nothing um yeah he was admitted to south miami hospital on december 16th 1994 being treated as a john doe and possible dui case his injuries included a twisted spine a shattered pelvis a ruptured bladder and a damaged spleen oh my god oh my god indeed and it gets cuter um, he hired a private investigator named Ed Dubois, who at first didn't really know what to make of Schiller's story because, like, some guy comes in, it looks like he's been in a drunk driving accident, his BAC is probably through the roof, and he's like, no, no, I was kidnapped. Um, yeah. So, he was like, I don't know about this, but, like, if this is true, Schiller needed to leave the hospital as soon as possible. It yeah. was a public building, and once the gang figured out that he wasn't dead, they could just call around and find him. And Dubois and Schiller were both concerned that he they would come and finish Schiller off. Yeah. Um, so Schiller arranged to be airlifted to Jackson Memorial Hospital in Staten Island. And while some people probably would think that Schiller and Dubois were overreacting or that the gang was not going to do something like murder him in a public place or whatever, it was very lucky that Schiller did get taken to Staten Island because they had been calling around. They figured out what hospital he was in. And the morning that he was airlifted, the Sun Jim gang dressed up as hospital un- in hospital uniforms and went to kill him. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jesus. Big yikes. So then over the next four months, Schiller recuperated and tried to put his finances back in order. Yeah. Um, his house now belonged to D&J International, a Bahamian company set up by Lugo the year before. His deli franchise had been dissolved. His offshore accounts had been emptied and $160,000 had been spent you know, on his credit cards to buy, among other things, condoms, like not just any condoms, like thousands of condoms. $160,000 worth of condoms. Yes. Thousands of condoms and adult movies. So cool. he Great. also, yeah. And he also learned that Lugo moved into his house by January 1995. This dude was reported as a John Doe December 16th, 1994. By January uh-huh. 95, he had moved in. <gasps> and he was calling himself Tom and telling the neighbors that he was a member of U.S. security forces. And according to Tom, Schiller had run into legal trouble and had been deported along with his family. So mm-hmm. the house had been confiscated as government property. And the neighbors liked Tom and had no reason not to trust him because he changed light bulbs for them and helped out with odd jobs and was just overall Mm. a good neighbor. Okay. So despite all of this, Schiller didn't go to the police. Okay. I know. Um, He was jailed right after for Medicare fraud, and many people believed that that explained his reluctance. But okay. he maintains that he was innocent, and the reason he didn't approach the police at first was because he thought they wouldn't believe him, and he said he wanted to gather his own evidence. That's why he hired Dubois. Mm. So when Dubois went to meet Lugo and he came across all of this evidence, he just was like, this is everything I need. And he yeah. said, quote, they put me and Ed Siebert, a former homicide detective, in a small office, and while we noticed the trash can underneath the desk was And after a while, we noticed the trash can underneath the desk was overflowing with paper. We started Mm. looking through it, and almost everything pertained to Schiller's kidnapping. End quote. Mm. So the gang had clearly, like, as stoogy as they were, they'd been cleaning up after themselves and, like, shredding their files and and getting rid of their files, I should say, because they did not not shred them. They just put them in the garbage. (sighs) Like... Come on, man. Like, I, I shred my fucking, like, bank statements, which have no information. Like, I shred everything. Um, yeah. So Dubois said, quote, there were copies of checks written to all the bad guys for their crime. So we had more than Lego and Delgado. We had the whole gang. Um, hmm. So with this and Lugo showing no signs of handing back the money, Schiller and Dubois finally went to the police in April of 1995 um unsurprisingly the cops were like why did you wait so long Mm -hmm. and while they stalled the gang moved on to their next victim which was a millionaire called frank griga and his girlfriend christina furton uh through Dorbal, the gang was informed of this other wealthy man which ended up being the hungarian griga who Mm -hmm. made his fortune by running a phone sex empire (laughs) empire to to each their own to each their own um so through a past girlfriend, Dorbal had been introduced to Attila, we- uh, Attila Weiland, who knew Griga and introduced Dorbal and his cousin, Daniel Lugo, to Griga on May 20th, 1995. Okay. D- Dorbal convinced Lugo to form a plan to kidnap and extort the couple. And at this meeting, Lugo and Dorbal posed as serious businessmen, offering Griga investment opportunities. Hmm. 
Lugo also involved his girlfriend, Sabina Petrescu, who believed that Lugo was actually a CIA agent and that she was assisting him in his mission to capture this Hungarian businessman who was guilty of using women for sex and mm. cheating on U.S. tax laws. And like he was this terrible dude. So right. he had like he had her fooled. Yeah. Um, so this would be kidnapping was much more brutal and much more brief. There was only one attempt. Yeah. Um, but it was still a fucking shit show. And on May 25th, 1995, after meeting with Griga several times, Dorbal fucking kills Griga during an argument <gasps> at his apartment. And the mm. gang had planned to bring Griga back to a warehouse alive where they could begin to extort him as they had done to Schiller. Yep. However, fucking Dorbal was frustrated and he jumped the gun. Yeah, and everybody else was frustrated, too, when their victim accidentally gets killed early. So yeah. then Christina Furton, again, Grieka's girlfriend, was also at the apartment talking to Lugo in a separate room from where Dorbal was talking to and killing Grieka. So then when Furton witnesses her partner get murdered, she starts screaming. They sedate her with Rompun, which is a horse tranquilizer. Oh. And so Lugo injects her with this horse tranquilizer. And then the gang begin to extract information from Furton regarding the codes that would get them an entry into Griga's house while mm. still injecting her with Rompun. They give her a second injection. After this, oh, wow. she stopped supplying them with information. So they gave her a third dose of the tranquilizer. But the dose was too fucking high. So they killed her too. <gasps> Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, I know. So then the next day, May 26th, Griga's body was hidden in Mark Schiller's stolen couch. Oh. Um, like, what the fuck? And Ew. Furton's body was put in a U-Haul clothing box. Um, oh both of them were placed in the back of a van, and Delgado, Lugo, and Dorbal drove to Lugo's Hialeah warehouse. Mm. Uh, the Stooges then cut up the bodies of Griga and Burton with a chainsaw, with Ooh. Dorbal doing most of the work. Oh, good. Yep. That can't be fun. Huh? That can't be fun. No, I can't imagine that it's fun for anybody. Like, no. No. So then the morning after the disappearance of Griga and Furton, Esther Toth, who was Griga's maid, arrived at Griga's house and she was shocked to find that the dog was barking and unattended, which she became suspicious. She asked her friend Judy Blartus, who was a friend of Furton's, for help. Mm -hmm. And the two of them entered the empty house together. And then always shortly call after... Back yep. Always call. Always get your girl gang. And um, shortly after... Bartus contacted all of their Hungarian friends in the area to see if they knew where this couple was. And after a lot of calling and some time where they came up with nothing, the Golden Beach Police Department was called. So at 7.30 a.m. on May 31st, 1995, Lloyd Alvarez, who was a friend of Griga's, spotted Griga's yellow Lamborghini, you know, like you have when you're a phone sex tycoon. Yep. Um, empire. There's an empire of it. It's an empire. It's an empire. I should have been an, a phone sex emperor. Excuse me. Emperor, um, yes. Traveling in a convoy between two other cars, he followed the trio of cars, and in the Mercedes, he recognized Daniel Lugo. Mm. 
So Beatrice Weiland and Attila Weiland were contacted by the police and began speaking to them. And Lugo and his accomplices fell under suspicion when Captain Al Harper, one of the detectives who had worked on the Schiller case, heard a gang of weightlifters were in the frame. And so then he immediately phoned Dubois. All right. We're getting somewhere. So then on Friday, June 2nd, Mark Schiller returned to Miami two months after he had first told investigators the story. And the next morning, the police served warrants on the houses of Lugo, Delgado, Dorbal, and John Mace, um, mm-hmm. Mace, who was a North Miami accountant. And Lugo, again, he was already in the Bahamas, but a <laughs> the task force brought him back to Miami so that he uh-huh. could be there to receive this like they bring him back to his house so he can receive the warrant and they wow. made him take a commercial flight <laughs> <laughs> did he have to pay for his own flight i don't know but it made me really happy that they like made him like take a commercial flight he's got all this money he's driving a fucking lamborghini and he's t- they're like by the way you're flying coach yeah right <laughs> middle seat yeah middle seat middle <laughs> aisle that's part of um, your punishment yes that's the worst punishment he's like just give me the death penalty um (laughs) anything but this so then on june 2nd lugo agreed to reveal the hiding place of the bodies in return for the police mentioning his helpfulness to a jury Mm. Uh, he brought them to the submerged barrels containing the bodies in southwest miami however they did not contain the heads hands and feet of the victims which were crucial for identification purposes yeah, so, and that if you're a career criminal and you know have, yeah, have gotten rid of bodies before, then you know that that's something you separate. Yeah. So what the fuck are they going to tell the jury? Yeah. Like, technically, yes. But listen to this. Listen to this. Following this, Lugo would not cooperate with the police, but they were able to identify Ferton's body through her breast implants. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that that's like a thing that can happen. They were matched to the records held by her plastic surgeon. So yeah. that was how they were able. So he thought of everything he thought, but he did not. So yeah. then a month later, information about the missing body parts was supplied by an anonymous caller. Okay. Um, so they were able to identify. But like the breast implants, that got me. That got me. Yeah, it's really that's a really interesting way to try to identify somebody. That's the, the fact that so somebody creative. even thought of that exactly like this isn't the first case that that happened no because i've definitely heard of that before but like wow that's so crazy that you're able to identify somebody from that brilliant just brilliant so then the police also arrested carl weeks and stevenson pierre um meese was returned to police custody after the initial interrogation and Mm -hmm. sabina protescu who remember she was lugo's girlfriend yeah um, and Cindy Eldridge, who Lugo had once married only to prevent her from testifying, being able to testify about the crimes he committed against his victims while they were dating. And then she found out and divorced him. Okay. Um, they also faced charges. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, now we're getting somewhere. We're moving now. So then the trials of Lugo Dorbal and John Meese, M-E-S-E, occurred mm-hmm. simultaneously with two juries picked. John Meese was believed to have been the bookkeeper for so when they went to that office um when dubois and his his cohort or whatever you want to call it his helper went Uh to the office and found all that paperwork john meese was the bookkeeper and he basically like 
hid all of that stuff for them. Okay. So just... He's the idiot that didn't shred anything. He's essentially the idiot that didn't shred anything. Yes. Um, Great job. uh, Yeah. Way to go, John. Um, So also, he should have known better because all of these men were in their like 30s, their early 30s. John Meese was like in his 60s, his 50s. Yeah, he was in his 50s. So like he should have known better. He knows what a shredder is. He knows what a shredder is. Um, so the two juries were picked. One listened to the evidence against Lugo, Lugo, and the second listened to the evidence against Dorbal and Mese, mm-hmm. um, or Mese, M-E-S-E. And I did try to find, but you can find nothing on this guy. Yeah. Um, so I, I really, Make I know people, guess. I know people are concerned about my preparedness and I did try to prepare. Uh, there's nothing that can come up for this guy. Um, so the trial, which began on February 24th, 1998, was the longest and most expensive criminal trial in the history of Dade County. And wow. it featured more than 1,200 fe- pieces of physical evidence and 98 witnesses. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That's so a, then, yeah, it's a long trial. Right? So then on October 2nd, 1996, Michael had turned three and Daniel Lugo was indicted on 46 counts and pleaded guilty to all charges of indictment. Mm. Um, so big day for both of them. And yep. then Dorball was also indicted on October 2nd and then was later sentenced on July 17th, 1998. Mm-hmm. And like Lugo and Dorball... Mese was also indicted on October 2nd for the kidnapping, extortion, and murders of Ferton and Griga, in addition to the crimes against Schiller. Okay. So then on July 20th, 1998, he was sentenced to 56 years in prison for the kidnapping and extortion of Schiller after a judge set aside the convictions for Griga and Ferton. Um, he appealed, Mese appealed, and the state cross-appealed the sentence to the Florida District Court of Appeal 3rd District. The District Court of Appeal judge ruled that at trial, the judge had improperly set aside the two racketeer-influenced and corruption organization convictions and Mm -hmm. ordered a new sentencing hearing to occur on those accounts. Mm -hmm. This is, again, this is in, like, it's his problems. Mese's problems started October 2nd, 1996. Then we jumped to July 20th, 1998. We're jumping again. January 15th, 2003, he wow. was sentenced to 30... I know. I know. He was sentenced to 30 years in prison for one count of conspiracy to commit racketeering, and then he died in prison in 2004. It's finally over. Yeah. Well, for one of them. Um, also in 1996, Jorge Delgado confessed his role in the kidnappings, pointing the finger at Daniel Lugo and Adrian Dorbal for the murder and dismemberment of Frank Griga and Christina Furton. Mm-hmm. Um, in return for testifying in favor of the state, Delgado was sentenced to two terms of five and 15 years. He only served seven years in jail and was released from the Everglades Correctional Institution in West Dade on September 27, 2002. Mm. But then in 2008, he was arrested for felony grand theft and received a year of probation. Wow. Yeah. So then when the case came to trial in 1998, the prosecution was able to present the jury with 10,000 pieces of evidence concerning both the murders and Schiller's kidnapping. Um, And so one of the testimonies from the witnesses included a statement that revealed that Lugo went back to the DIY store, Home Depot, 
mm-hmm. to return to the chainsaw to return the chainsaw that he had bought to dismember Griga and Furton. His complaint was that it was suffering from a burnt out engine. I wonder why. I wonder why too, but don't in a different just- way. Just kind of why the fuck would you do this? Yeah, don't you just cut your losses at that point and be like, oh, this is now evidence in two murders. He's so also stolen just- millions. Cut yeah. your losses. Take the shitty chainsaw. Keep it. It's what, yeah. 50 bucks? You've got what, 60 million bucks? Like, come on, man. Yeah. You're living in a house head, for buddy. free. Yeah. Um. So <sighs> that was that. That happened. It was real cute. So the judge, Judge Ferrer, said, quote, there were literally times during the case when the lawyers would approach the bench, talk about an issue, and we would just shake our heads and laugh because of the stupidity. The case was incredibly tragic, but it had a lot of dark humor to it, he said, end quote. Yeah. Like, that's when you know. That's just when how, you know. How much of, like, bumbling idiots they were throughout yes, the entire thing. Absolutely. Um, so today, Mark Schiller lives in a small one-bedroom apartment in Boca Raton. Mm-hmm. Um, which is in Florida, for those who don't know. Yep. Um, I'm, I grew up around snowbirds, so I knew Boca Raton. Um, and so, in contrast to his life before his kidnapping, um, which included a two-story house with a pool, his own accounting firm, the deli, the businesses, $126 yeah. million in the bank, all of that, he now lives a quiet life working as an accounting and tax resolution specialist for a national tax resolution company. Um, he rarely socializes outside of work. He and his wife are divorced. His kids are adults now. Oh. Um, and by his own admission, he has, quote, zero interest in making friends. Oh Can't say God, I blame him. So sad. Super sad. I mean, I don't blame apart. him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to Just wait. Um Lugo is still on death row, though he has made multiple unsuccessful appeals against his sentence. Mm. But because of changes to capital punishment law, Dorbal had his sentence, death sentence, overturned in 2017. Um, So he may still come before a jury again if the Miami prosecutors decide to seek the death penalty. Mm -hmm. Um, So this case was, to get into the pop culture side, extremely well covered by Miami newspapers at the time. Um, it was in a. It was featured in a three-part serial by journalist Pete Collins. Um, okay. That was featured in the Miami News Times in 1999 and 2000. Uh-huh. Um, Collins also wrote the 2013 book Pain and Gain. This is a true story. Also in 2013, Dubois released the single Pain and Gain Retribution song, which tells the story <laughs> of Schiller. Okay. Um, Schiller himself has also published two books, the first titled Pain and Gain, The Untold True Story, and the second being Pain and Gain, How I Survived and Triumphed. So the first one was about the events of what happened during his kidnapping. The other one, the second one was about, okay, so what do I do now? Yeah. Um, but the Which most- is an interesting side you don't really get to hear very often. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought it was really nice, especially, obviously not a lot of people are going to- have experienced this exact thing like you lose everything because of a horrific crime against yeah. yourself that you did nothing to deserve exactly but, um it's it's i think it's really 
it could be found helpful for people who do lose everything in whatever aspect, whether it's like the death of like family members or monetary assets, a home, something like that. Like just because it's, it is a universal story of overcoming odds. Yeah. Um, but the most well-known iteration of Schiller's life and story of his kidnapping would probably be the least accurate, which is (laughs) the 2013 Michael Bay movie, pain and gain which was inspired by Collins's book, not Schiller's. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie features Tony Shalhoub as Schiller, whose name was changed to Victor Kershaw for the movie. Okay. Anthony Mackie, who is our new Captain America, um, plays Dorball. Mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg plays Lugo. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson plays Weeks. Perfect. I know. Um, and again, casting. names have been changed primarily for like some of this. But yeah, like just to help people understand like what the characters are based on yeah but um schiller says now quote no one involved with the film ever talked to me wow it wasn't me they put in the movie when i saw it i thought who is this person um on screen victor kershaw brags about his money treats his employees like shit and drives around with the words miami bitch emblazoned on his license plate his vanity plate yeah, asking to be robbed and kidnapped. It, exactly. In reality, not victim blaming in any way, but like if you're you're flaunting everything like so much, and you're like you're not sympathetic. So and, why am I why am I going to be rooting for you? And he's treating his employees of the. They're saying he owns the gym and treats them like shit. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um. So in reality, Ferrer, the judge again, said that Schiller wasn't like that at all. And he, like, the this was so bad, like, in terms of a character thing, like, re- character reference, basically. Mm-hmm. Assault on his character, honestly. Yeah. That the judge from the trial was speaking out against it. Wow. Um, and Ferris said, quote, in the movie, they made him out to look slimier than he was. He really wasn't a slimy guy. And besides, he adds, quote, nobody deserves what he got. Nobody. Exactly. Um... So then Susanna Griga, who is, how do I put this? Susanna is Griga's family, Griga's sister. Excuse me. Okay. I can't. All right. I'm going to start this again. This is 47. I'm sorry, Elliot. (laughs) I'm really sorry, Elliot. It's okay. This is like, I'm a fucking mess today. I don't know what my problem is. I just, I know, I'm just, I'm trying to, okay, so, now I've lost my place, I'm like a mess today, I'm really sorry, Haley, it's okay, all right, so Susanna, Griga's sister, and Griga's brother, Frank, um, or, Susanna, oh my god, I'm so sorry, all right, (laughs) all right, all right, here we go. Because I wrote brother, and that's what's fucking me up, because she's not a brother. She's a sister. Okay. So, Griga's sister, Susanna, said that the movie's depiction of the gang as being sympathetic goofballs, basically, is, quote, ridiculous. Yeah. And she added, quote, it's horrible what happened to them. I don't want the American public to be sympathetic to the killers. End exactly. Quote. 
Um, so Schiller also explained, quote, the way they tell it made it look like a comedy. You also got to remember that not only I went through this, but certain people were killed. So making these guys look like nice guys is atrocious, end quote. Yeah. Yeah. So there were other issues with this movie in terms of accuracy, um, one of which is the character of Paul Doyle, who is a composite of mostly Carl Weeks with a, a little pinch of Jorge Delgado and a little dash of Mario Sanchez, big Mario. Mm-hmm. Um, but the differences do not stop there. Schiller describes Delgado as, quote, meek. And he went on to say that he, quote, wouldn't hurt a fly, end quote. Mm. Meanwhile, Paul Doyle is uh, the the character Paul Doyle is played by Rock the Dwayne Johnson and Rock the Dwayne Johnson. You haven't heard that? <laughs> no, I oh, I've not. heard that. I've heard that meme. I was going to say I've heard that meme. Um, and that's literally just physically the opposite because Weeks was 140 pounds and yeah. Delgado was tall and thin. Um, Dwayne Johnson is a fucking house. Yeah. Um, and in the movie, Doyle plays a muscle-bound ex-con and a recovering addict who becomes hooked on cocaine. So that kind of coincides with Weeks's being an ex-con who had issues yep. with alcohol and crack. But um, also like Doyle, Weeks had found Christianity after he got clean. However, Delgado had a wife and hadn't been to prison until after he was found guilty. And so when they mixed the two together and they were like, oh no, it's based on these two people, they were like, where? Yeah. So the movie has a 6.4 out of 10 rating on IMDb, an 89% Google rating, and a 51% rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 47% audience score and a critical consensus of, quote, it may be his most thought-provoking film to date, but Michael Bay's pain and gain ultimately loses its satirical edge in a stylized flurry of violent spectacle, end quote. Mm. And during- It sounds like a Michael Bay movie. Yeah, I was going to say, this describes pretty much any Michael Bay movie. Um, but during an E! Entertainment red carpet interview in Miami, Mark Wahlberg responded to the outrage expressed by both Schiller and the victim's family members. And he said, quote, Obviously, I was very sensitive to the victims and their families, said Wahlberg. And, you know, it's hard when you're making a movie. It's hard to please everybody, but hopefully when they see the movie, they'll be a little bit more understanding. We try to protect their identity, and hopefully they're not going to be upset, end quote. You didn't even try to get in contact with the the survivor. And it's based on the book written by the journalist who did a huge serial yeah. on the story. Like, it was very... But honestly, this is coming from a guy that literally beat up a man in Washington because he hated Asian people. So I'm taking this with a grain of salt. Like, if um, you wanted to... If you wanted to, like, distance yourself farther from the victims and their families... Don't name your movie the title of the book that it's based on. Like, really distance yourself and just take, like, the general plot as your movie. Like, yeah. Oh, but it's okay, Haley. They changed their names. That's such bullshit. Yeah, which gave them a license for even more inaccuracies. Um, So then also they asked Rock the Dwayne Johnson on the red carpet and he said, quote, this story rocked our city. Um, the actor was actually attending Miami University when the events occurred. Ooh, excuse me, when the events occurred. Um, and mm-hmm. he said, quote, it was a crazy time down here then. 
And I'm yes, sitting there and I'm like, experienced it. Come on. Yeah, I was like, you've experienced it, so you know, like, don't do this to me, The Rock. Yeah. Come on, huh. The Rock. But yeah, and that's the story of Mark Schiller and the Sun Jim Gang, not to be confused with Casey and the Sh- Sunshine Gang. I can't speak today, Haley. Sunshine Band? Sunshine Band. Yep. Can't speak today. All right. All right. I still have not heard of that, the book or the movie. Really? But I remember it's a the Michael movie. Bay movie, so. It's a Michael Bay movie, and if you've seen one, really you've my... seen them all. Yeah, he's not really my uh, my go-to director, really. No, no. Not really in that, that world. It's all right. Uh, yeah, to each their own. That's fine. I haven't seen this personal this movie personally. I've seen other Michael Bay movies, so I feel like I'm not missing much, but I just, when I learned about how far off, like, it's one thing, like, it took me back to the protests that the family members from the from the Bernie Tate case. Yeah, exactly. Um, or I, somebody told us how to pronounce his name. I still won't pronounce it correctly just because I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, many things. You just see it. and it, it, I see it, it and it goes away. Yes. Poof. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but that's, no. that is very similar. And just also the, the way, if you recall, Richard Linkletter and even Jack Black and, um, Oh, what's her name? Shoot. I know her. I can see her. Shirley MacLaine. Um, Thank you to those who are yelling at me. You helped. Um, Just the way that they portrayed Bernie as being this, like, sad sack and, like, so vulnerable and so, like, abused. A lovable and abused. Yeah. And that his victim is this awful person who deserves it. Just I yeah. I just and I love Jack Black. I love Jablinski games, but this reminded me a lot of that. Exactly. And it so. actually reminds me of uh something I'm gonna be covering Ooh. in a future episode that just listening to this, it, like I wanna talk about it, but I can't because it's coming up soon. Ooh, I'm excited. Yeah. But uh yeah, that's that's terrible. And I literally never even heard of this case before, which is crazy. Same. Yeah. Like, again, a lot of people, I feel like, especially if you are a cinephile or an action movie fanatic, you've probably heard of Pain and Gain, even though it was a somewhat forgettable one. It's like it's been out only like six years. So, I mean, yeah, it's not too old. Yeah, it's not too old. But I did not know that there was a real story behind it. I had no idea. Real in quotes. Not really that real. Yeah, exactly. But there was source material for it. It wasn't. Yeah. 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 And no, apparently this was huge. I'm interested in, I didn't think to ask, my dad follows a lot of, like, stuff like this. I was, Mm -hmm. I should have asked him if he, like, had heard about this case, but. Yeah. It was Father's Day, we were talking about other things. Yeah, I'll bring my dad on. (laughs) Good. (laughs) He'll be like, please don't do this to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway, we'll have a bunch of information on the website. Mm-hmm. which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. That is it. Um, there's links to all of our social media there. So if you find us on one account, chances are you're going to find us everywhere. Um, and we know. Action. Yes. We know we that ha- you'll find us. We've had a lot of action on the uh, Facebook page recently. We have. Getting a lot of uh, new likes. And uh, that has, in the About section of our Facebook 
It has um, the link tree, which is links to 100% of everything, including yeah. our Patreon. That is. It's patreon.com slash crime culture. Yeah, some people said they've had trouble finding it, but uh, it's definitely on our link tree, and it is Patreon slash crime culture. So. Patreon.com slash crime culture. Yeah, well, yeah, Patreon.com slash crime culture. <laughs> Just type in um, Patreon slash crime culture, and Haley will be yeah. like, I know what to do. I'll get you there. <laughs> I'll lead you. Um, <laughs> anyway, so thanks for listening to this episode, and if you have... Uh, the time or the emotional wherewithal to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, we will be eternally grateful. The emotional wherewithal. <laughs> I frequently don't, but, you know, if someone pleads with me to care for a second, then, I don't know, maybe I will. That's why she I'm cares hoping, for me. I'm hoping my plea comes forward. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here, Haley's pleas. Yep. Now I gotta for go just, turn the AC for on. just three short payments of nineteen ninety nine, you too can help a sad child. It's free to leave a rating <laughs> and review. Did you know that? I did. I did know that. Hundred percent free. In the arms of an angel, plays quietly in the background. <laughs> you don't even have to donate oh. anything. Free. No. Yep. Free. Yep. My favorite brand. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm done here. Yeah. (laughs) I'll see you next week. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Am I the only one doing IEs today? Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.